Hi, this is Tim and Dole. Welcome to Midwest Hunting and Outdoors by Two Dumbasses, a podcast about the outdoors, hunting, and being a steward of the land. Welcome to Midwest Hunting and Outdoors by Two Dumbasses. Uh, this is episode number two, and we're calling it Getting Professional Help. Tim, we're not talking about the professional help, like you wake up in an Amish barn naked and there's a baby Sasquatch next to you that's calling you daddy. <laughs> no, it's no. not that kind of help, is it? No, no. Uh, we've got a very special guest that we're going to be bringing on, uh, Dirk Albright. And uh, he's got a wealth of experience. He's uh, been a land agent in multiple states and uh, is an avid hunter and land manager. So we're really fortunate to have him on our on our show. Yep. And before Dirk comes on, um, let's kind of talk a little bit about what, uh, you know, what kind of things we worked on this week, right? So yeah. You want to start? Yeah. So it's been, uh, we're kind of in that period to where spring's done. We're kind of going into where it's getting pretty hot. We're in June. And so I'm uh, not planning a lot of stuff. So for me, uh, we built a, as we've talked before, we built a pond. And so uh, you were out there. We actually stocked that new pond uh, this last week. So pretty excited about that. Um, for those who might be interested, uh, we put some bass, bluegills, and some catfish in it. And then uh, I'm going to manage that pond really for some like trophy uh, pan fishing I've, I've decided so we're going to put some red deer in as well as a few hybrids and uh, I'm pretty excited how that's going to turn out yeah well if uh, you know frogs put on weight on fish they're going to grow fast because you got a lot of frogs <laughs> around there man I mean there must be a gazillion uh, a gazillion tadpoles in this pond I mean it's just amazing uh, what else have I been doing this week uh um, well, so the other piece is, is, uh, it's been hot days, but, uh, the nighttime has been relatively cool. And, uh, one of the things I've been noticing is, is that the deer seem to be moving a lot. Have you, have you noticed having the same thing? I have seen a lot of deer movement, especially right around dusk, right? Yeah. A little bit before dusk and then uh, a lot of does and, uh, some fawns. Yeah. I'm seeing the same thing. We had a, we had a doe and a fawn, um, bed right down below our house uh our shouse if you will uh the other day but uh, that brings up another good topic i think on fawns i I i'm no expert on this but my recollection is is may and especially june is a big fawning month and uh you know those fawns to my understanding are they're born without scent so that's one of their protections from one of their protections from uh, predators and their mothers will leave them, leave them for periods of time. And those fawns are basically taught to stay put. And I had a neighbor actually, who's just out. Uh, it's hay season this time of year too. So we're getting that first cutting. And uh, unfortunately uh, I think he had, there were three fawns that were a casualty of his, process so i guess i i mean it's tragic you know and that's one of those things we were talking with this landowner is is you know he doesn't particularly like white tails i mean he's a he's a farmer and he's trying to put food on his table but 
when you think about hunting, particularly at the price after this COVID, I mean, beef is selling for, you know, $6, $6 a pound if you're thinking hamburger. And when you put those fawns into full-grown deer at some point, that's they're worth quite a bit. It's a lot of money. A yeah. Lot of value. Yeah, certainly. And it's just sad. It's and it's sad. sad. Yeah. Anything else? Uh, no. How about yourself? Yeah, I mean, uh, from an outdoor standpoint, um, I finally got, it was dry enough this week for me to get down in the bottom part of my property and uh, with my tractor and my rotary mower and uh, do some mowing down there. So I was excited to do that. I, first and only time this year. So it was pretty jungly, fighting the jungle down there. And the kill kill plots that I've got and food plots I've got are, are uh, doing really well down there. So I'm excited about that. And then you know, in episode one, I talked about my uh, field of weeds. The foxtail plot. The foxtail plot, field <laughs> of weeds, uh, whatever we want to call it. But uh, so I got a second sprain on that. And, uh, you know, I'm hopeful that uh, that's going to do some damage. We'll see. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, that's kind of my my events this week. Yeah, I look forward to seeing it. Yeah. Well, with that, um, should we get Dirk on the line here and... Uh, Get on with the episode. Yeah, let's do that. I'm excited to, excited to um, meet Dirk and explore his his learnings. All right. We've got uh, exciting guests uh, today, Dirk Albright, and uh, Dirk is a land specialist. Dirk, how are you doing today? Good. How are you guys? Great. Yeah, it's hot here in Iowa, and uh, Dirk, remind me where you're located again. I'm living in Kansas, so just outside of Kansas City, suburb called Olathe. Oh, yeah. Excellent. And the weather there today? Hot. Real hot. <laughs> we need rain. Yeah, well, hopefully it's coming. Hopefully it's coming. Yeah, it is. I, I'm hoping. Hopefully tomorrow. Well, speaking of Kansas, and, and um, we, you know, we had a call the other day, and uh, just kind of a prep call and get ready for this podcast, and uh, you were out on your farm. Tell us a little bit about your farm and what you're doing out there. Yeah, so... I'm very fortunate. Um, had an opportunity to manage a, a farm that was uh, being underutilized, and um, basically just offered my, you know, services to help take care of the place, and manage the place, and get rid of trespassers, and do all that kind of stuff for the owner, who's a client of mine. And um, it's worked out great. Um, I've had the opportunity to, you know, love to bow hunt. So. He has all the equipment, and then I've added some additional equipment to, to be able to, you know, plant food plots and and really take care and manage the habitat and, and try to grow some big deer uh, not too far from the house here. So, um, very fortunate, very lucky. Well, I'm sure the wife likes that too, being that close. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, knowing our history with you traveling all over God's yeah, green earth, yeah. right? But uh, that's awesome. How long? How long of? Uh, how long has this been taking place? So I've had uh, this for about a year and a half, and then of course we own some land up in Iowa too that we actually purchased a couple years ago. So this is a lot easier to get back and forth from, and then I head up to our property up there about once every three months or so, and I've got a good buddy of mine that uh, helps take care of that too, and and we do the same up there. We plant food plots and uh, have a bunch of private ground that we have access to, and and then we lease a little bit of ground too up there as well. Yeah, no shortage of hunting um, in the Albright family. That's awesome. No, no. Awesome. I pay my dues in the off season, and then the wife lets me go during November. So, 
Well, let's get right into this. Um, you know, I think a, a place to start would be is, you know, can you give us just a little bit of uh, history of uh, who Dirk is and, um, you know, your career path and, um, and then where you're at specifically right now? Yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. I'd love to. Um, so kind of grew up in Iowa. Um, my dad was in the Marines for 20 years, but he retired and we moved to Iowa back in 98 and uh, never really hunted. Um, but I grew up on the front of a bass boat, you know, camping, doing all the fishing, you know, doing all those type of things. And um, when I moved to Iowa um, after high school, I was fortunate enough to go to northern Iowa and play football and met my best friend. And he's like a brother to me and an uncle to my kids. And he kind of got me into this hunting thing, this so-called. I had no interest in hunting at all uh, as far as deer is concerned. I had never shot a bow. I had really never hunted a a deer with even a rifle or or a shotgun and um at the time we had a buddy that bought some land and um he uh, was an nfl so he didn't have time to manage it and so we're like we'll give this a shot right two two young guys you know we know enough to be dangerous and um and that's where i really fell in love and, and developed that passion for land and um, I never really knew it was there, but that led into, ironically, I won a scratch ticket on the way to work one morning for like 800 bucks. And I was <laughs> like, okay, here's my opportunity to buy a bow. <laughs> Needless to say, the wife wasn't too happy about it, but, um, but she, sits, uh, she still gives me crap about that. But anyways, that's, that's how I then got into bow hunting. And, um, and so I, I can say that... Uh, my passion for land came first. Ironically, most people hunt first and then they kind of get into management, but that drew me into bow hunting. And now, um, as you know, uh, Joel, I'm just obsessed with it. So it, I eat it, I sleep it, I breathe it. Um, and um, it's my, it's what I'm meant to do on earth, I think. <laughs> so, so, Dirk, so, yeah. So, Dirk, with that, uh, my guess is you run probably quite a few cameras and stuff. Do you have... Without giving up too much information, do you have any uh, deer that uh, you're chasing for this next year? Yeah, this next year we've got a couple of good ones, and um, here in Kansas, something that I think any bow hunter would be proud of. I don't know if it's as big as the one back behind you there, but <laughs> <laughs> they're probably pretty close. Um, and then we haven't even started running cameras in Iowa yet, just simply because I'm waiting to see if I, I drew. So, um, but. Yeah, we should have a, some potential. We've got a couple now that are a lot larger than anything I've got on the wall that are in the daytime already. So we'll just keep our fingers crossed and hopefully it stays that way. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So um, fell in love with, uh, you know, outdoors and hunting specifically. Literally to win the lotto to buy a, yeah. a compound bow, right? What was your yeah, first compound bow? Uh, it was a uh, diamond... Gosh, what was it? A diamond something. I got it at Bass Pro. It was one of those buy all kits. Yeah. Um, I don't even know if they make diamond anymore. Botech does or not. But uh, it was a good bow. You know, I, I, I that's one of two bows that I've ever owned. Um, I shot that for a couple of years, killed my first bow buck with it, and uh, and then bought an Elite back in like 2011. And I still shoot that bow today. I mean, it's a lot for me about feel. You know. Sure yeah. it is. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I always tell people too. Is you know, there's so many good bows. The technology's over the charts, right? And uh, yep. 
you know, what I tell people is you shoot a lot of bows and, and buy the one that uh, feels the best. Don't, you know, don't buy it based on the brand name. Buy the one that feels the best to you. Absolutely, yeah. Which trying to get a lot of, I have a lot of clients that are interested in the outdoors but have never really bow hunted. And um, they always ask me, you know, that, and I answer it the same way. You're going to have to shoot a few bows and then go with the one that feels the best, you know, because it, it really has to be an extension of your body. What's the bow brand you shoot, Joe? Well, you know, I, a couple years ago, we've, uh, both Sammy and I, uh, Dirk, have gone to crossbows uh, because oh, yeah. of shoulder issues and football issues, actually. Uh, so, <laughs> nothing to look forward to there for you, sorry. But yeah. uh, 10 points. I, we 10 should points. both shoot 10 points, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, just re- I just recently had uh, shoulder surgery as well. So, I've, I used to have an old Matthew switchback, which I still have. Uh, but uh, I have also switched back to a crossbow as well. You but go. you're shooting Raven. Yeah. Yep, Raven. Yeah. Brand. But yeah, from there, um, just uh, I got you know we moved to to Des Moines after college, and I I worked for Wells Fargo for about six and a half seven years, uh, and just started climbing the ladder there, and loved my job, but uh, just. All I could think about was the outdoors, you know, managing that property, bow hunting, and I was like, I, I can't sit at a desk anymore. So uh, randomly applied for a job with Whitetail Properties um, back in 2013, and um, I, I'm pretty sure I missed about a dozen calls from them, but they never left the message. <laughs> and so finally one day I just picked up the phone, and uh, uh, yeah, I was very fortunate enough to get hired by them and had a great career in several states. Um, um, with them as well and then um, uh, you know the next step in my career and really truly become a professional in the land business so uh, Midwest Land Group has, has really uh, offered me an op- a rare opportunity to, again to, to step up my game and, and really be a professional representative in this market that's so, great when um, how, how long have you been with Midwest uh, about well, five months now okay Yep. Awesome. Okay. Well, uh, thank you for you know sharing little history and and uh, and also entertaining our uh, pretending to to laugh at some of our jokes here. So we <laughs> greatly appreciate that. You know. Um, so Dirk, let's uh, jump into this. You know, and and you know we'll we'll kind of I think use the scenario with Tim and I um, in episode one. We kind of talked about how we came across our property and um, what we've done since we've acquired it. You know, so someone comes to Dirk, calls you, sends you an email, IMs you, um, texts you, whatever it is, and says, "Hey, I, I, I really have this burning passion to own some property." Where, where do you take them? What's the first, that first communication you have with them? What does that look like? Uh, you know, the first part of that conversation is is kind of an interview process. You know, it's okay. You say you want land. Um, give me some ideas around what exactly you're looking for or looking to do with the land. So um, do you want timber? Do you want a build spot? You know, do you, uh, what's the distance factor from where you currently live? Uh, You know, most people who are, um, and over the years, I've got a good gauge on this, you know, it's a secondary property form. It's it's a uh, recreational property. It's an investment property. It's, It's just something additional to what they have at home, um, whether they're a hunter or whether they're a farmer or a businessman who just wants some return on his money. Um, 
those are the questions that I really have to dig into to kind of figure out what direction to steer them, right, to help them out with. And so that, that initial conversation, other than building rapport and getting to know the client, um, is really centered around, you know, how do we get them headed in the right direction? Because as you know, Joel, and, and you guys may know together, is that land can be intimidating. I mean, especially if you didn't grow up around it or have been a hunter your whole life or even if you have, you know, uh, that's the biggest reservation I get is, well, I don't know anything about land, you know, um, and that's a big part of the buying process and even selling process is just really engaging the client and educating them and figuring out what direction they want to go. You know, you're bringing that up, Dirk. That's that's really one of the niches that we're trying to fill is, is trying to educate people on what it's like to buy ground and what do you do? What do you, what do you do with it, right? Yeah. And try to and try to help them not make maybe some of the mistakes that we've made. Uh, do you have an, like an average demographic of your clients that yeah. are looking for ground? I'd be curious to understand that. Yeah. So there's a lot of people who will um, will know um, right now. One of the largest exchanges of wealth in the United States is happening with the baby boomer generation, right? They're getting to the point now where um, they're long retired, they're getting up there in age, and they're now looking to their family or looking to um, sell uh, a lot of the property that they've owned over the years, whether they've inherited it or whether they uh, bought it way back in 1985, you know, whatever. Our largest selling demographic is that baby boomer generation right now, for the most part. you know, it's kind of ironic. Other than that, you know, we unfortunately divorces happen. Unfortunately, family members die. You know, things like that happen. That um, that's a big world of our selling market right now. Um, of course, there's also people that are looking to flip land. That you know, we help out do that. And um, on the selling side, though, I would say that's the majority of our clientele is that older generation that. 65, 70, you know, 60 years old and up that, uh, you know, their family just isn't into the, the land thing and they'd rather have the cash in their pocket and move on with their life. Sure. Um, or they would continue to retire. Hey, Dirk, um, you know, not trying to sidetrack you here, but just curious, something came to mind uh, with the coronavirus. Um, are you yeah. seeing Are you seeing an impact on, uh, you know, people wanting to purchase more land, move from suburbia to outside, rural? I mean, are you seeing any trends at all that you could uh, yeah. put your finger on? Ironically, um, I was pretty fearful just starting out with a new company and all of a sudden this virus hit that, oh my gosh, you know, that everything's just going to flatten out and, you know, this is just going to be impossible. There's not going to be anybody in the market to buy right now. They're going to lock their money up and run. But it has been the busiest three months of my career ever. Um, especially with rec ground and rural homes. Um, We're seeing a big uh, influx of people that live in the city or live near the city wanting to move rurally. And um, not only that, but if they live in the city and they have the money, they want to buy another piece of land and build a little cabin on it or a little pole barn living quarters or, or something where they can get away. And it's another thing along with that, it's ironic, you know, as of two, three years ago, we also had a huge influx of, you know, 
doomsday prepper type people of all income levels. I mean, I've worked with hundred millionaires that are doomsday preppers and I've worked with people that, you know, are, are selling their house and moving to land, you know, to doomsday prep. So it, it's, it's an interesting time, obviously, as we all know, but uh, the long winded version of to answer your question. Yes. Uh, it's, it's been extremely busy. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. It'll be interesting, um, you know, how long that trend lasts and, and what that looks like, you know, three to five years down the road. Not good for, I don't like that sign for hunters. That means more competition, right, uh, on the land. But uh, yeah. maybe people are just getting as smart as we have and we just uh, were ahead of the curve. Very well, could be. Yeah, if you've got in the land game in the last five years, it's all relative, right? You know, back. 50 years ago, 60 years ago, granddaddy was saying 500 an acre was expensive, right? And now his land's worth 3,500 an acre, especially down there where you guys are at, you know? And so I, I can't ever predict that that will happen um, if you bought land at 3,500 an acre. But the relative incline of, of land is an average of 3% over the last 30 years. It's increased in value. Um, and that that's encompasses all land, right? So there's a big fluctuation in crop ground, um, but as far as raw land is considered, you know, on average, three percent over the last thirty years, it's increased. That's good. Okay. Um, so where we left you was uh, this person called you. You've yeah. you've talked through. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's kind of step one is hey, let's talk about your criteria. What's important? Buying points. Uh, what are you going to use the land for? Et cetera, et cetera. Yes. And now that yep. you've got that, what's uh, what's the next step? So after I've got enough information to formulate kind of a, a checklist for the buyer um, or seller even, um, what we'll do is uh, then search the internet, you know, and search our inventory. Um, for us, we also utilize the MLS, which some ag agents don't in the land business, some do. Uh, it's a great extra tool to have with so many people in the industry now that call themselves land agents. Um, it, it's, it's kind of a must have, especially if you lo live close to the, to the cities. Um, but what we'll do is, is we'll find them, we'll start searching for property, uh, that fits their criteria. And maybe I already have one that after I interviewed them, they, uh, Hey, I've got two properties I think would really fit you. We'll shoot them those properties over, have a follow-up conversation. And then it's kind of off to the races. Uh, we'll start looking to show property. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll meet them out there, or they'll hop in the car with us, and we'll take the UTV out and and, uh, and or walk, you know, the whole thing. But if it's one of my properties that I have currently listed, you know, we kind of pride ourselves and have really gridded that property. We have, you know, map programs on our phones and iPads now. We have, um, you know, soil maps. We have topo maps. We have... And then on top of that, we've really walked the property and know, hey, where's this rub? Where's this old scrape? Where's the bedding area if they're a big deer hunter? Or where's a good build site? You know, how far is it? How much is it going to cost to run power and water to this build site? Septic systems. Um, I mean, the the stuff we have to know uh, is uh, is it can be very broad, but we have to know it in a lot of detail. Just because, again, you know, 90% of our clients have not bought land before. So it's really trying to, to figure out what they want, 
when they want it, what they can afford, and then all the stuff that encompasses that once they find a piece of ground, right? Um, and, and that's important too, is the budget. And like I always tell my clients though, you know, a good agent will never ask your top dollar if you're buying and, and a good agent will never, it will never ask your bottom dollar if you're selling, right? Um, and that's just because it's our job to, to get you the most money possible in every scenario. Yeah, you kind of brought up the term, you know, the topic of money here. So maybe it's a good uh, a good transition to, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. No, uh, you know, buying buying land is, uh, in my experience, buying property was significantly different approach um, financially than than buying a house. Buying money yeah, absolutely. And can you walk us through what options are available? Maybe what's the main approach and then maybe some creative approaches. Yeah, absolutely. So um, if you're going to finance land, let's start there because that's kind of a longer winded version. Um, typically a land, a raw land lender, which we have several that we work with, and it's gotten better over the years, uh, even since you purchased your land, Joel, what, seven, eight years ago now or so? Typically, a lender for raw land is going to ask you for anywhere from 15 to 30% down in cash, okay? And a lot of that has to do with your credit profile, how much money you're going to put down on top of that, um, you know, the, the type of land they're going to lend on, whether it's crop ground or um, recreation ground or a ranch with a house. You know, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, as far as on the banks end. But the best thing you can do if you're looking to buy and you're going to borrow money from a bank is to call an agent like myself and ask for a couple of lenders that they may recommend and they get pre-approved. Um, and the biggest part of that is you don't want to waste your time out searching for land for maybe, who knows, I've had clients search for two, three years and they finally find the perfect place. And if you can't buy that place at that point in time, you just waste two or three years, you know. So most pre-approvals are good for about 90 days. Some are good for even longer, um, depending on your credit profile. But that's the first step that I would take after that initial call with that real estate agent is if you're going to borrow money, go get pre-approved. Um, because that's about 65 75% of the process. After that, it's a document. Thing, right and uh, the documents all are circled around what type of income you have so if your business for self there could could be a little bit of a harder journey because a lot of business for self people write off a lot right they don't show a lot of net income as a business for self person when you go buy a land or even buy a house you're always going to be I guess calculated on your net income so after all your expenses after all your write-offs what's left in the honey hole, right? Whereas if you're a W-2 employee, where you get paid a salary, you get paid twice a month or every week or whatever, you're actually going to be evaluated on your gross income. So prior to taxes being take out, taken out, um, you know, for instance, a W-2 income might make, let's just use $200,000 a year for an even number. They're gonna use $200,000 a year. if. You're a business for self owner, you make $200,000 a year, and you write off $100,000 a year, they're going to use $100,000 a year. So, something to keep in mind um, when you're looking to buy ground. Um, cash 
cash is pretty easy. I mean, cash, you can typically close quicker. Um, I hate to say that cash is king, but um, because cash is cash, right? Whether you're, you're getting money from the bank or you have cash in your pocket, ultimately sure. cash is going to buy that property either way. But um, you have a lot more flexibility with cash. And typically with cash, you have a little more negotiating room if, if the seller is willing to, because it's you'll close faster, right? Um, you'll close in maybe two, three weeks versus maybe two months. Yeah. Um, depending on contingencies and some, some, some things like that. But other than that, there is a third option. Um, some landowners will do um, contract for deed, which is basically owner financing. Um, it's a little more rare, and I think the misconception is that it's easier. From a document standpoint, yes. Uh, let's just say that business for self guy would rather do a land contract and not go through the bank because he doesn't show enough net income. Typically, though, there's very little room for negotiation, and the seller sets his interest rate and sets his terms and also sets his amount down. Um, in my experience, a lot of times it's a higher interest rate than the bank. It's more money down than the bank would ask, but you get the flexibility of not having to send all those documents in if you know you can afford the, the property. And it's not bad for the seller either. If, you know, the seller owns a few properties and he wants to collect interest off those payments for a few years, hey, why not? You know, as long as you have a, a title company or a real estate lawyer, write that up. You know, so it's legally binding. I would always do that. Don't ever do a napkin, you know, paper napkin restaurant deal or anything like that. But yeah, I've got a little long-winded there, but um, I could go on with the lending side of things for a long time. And, um, you know, obviously if anybody has more questions about that, I'd be happy to answer them. But I think that's about the thousand foot level on that. Perfect. Yeah, sure. So, um, so next steps. So the person, uh, you know, the person's, uh, decided what they want. You've showed them some land, and it's like, okay, I want to buy this property. Um, hopefully, some of the pre-financing is done. Is yeah. the big message I heard from you in that last section? Um, you know, what's the next step then? Yeah. So the next steps really to get an offer. The, the paperwork is getting thicker and thicker now. You know, over the years, but the biggest part of this process that I, I try to tell my buyers and sellers uh, to think about is just let, it, it's a process, right? It's, it's a game. It, don't get offended. Um, don't get frustrated when you have to sign all these forms because it, it's part of the process. It's a have to. There's no skipping these steps, right? And it's my job as a real estate agent to deal with all the in-betweens, you know, the, the mad buyer or the mad seller or the, you know, the ridiculous offers or, you know, those things like that. That's my job to try to educate both sides and say, Hey, uh, this is, this is just part of the game. And so beyond that, once you get that offer in, it's just kind of a back and forth. And, um, from there it's an acceptance or it's a rejection or it's a counter offer situation where you're going back and forth, just trying to, to get to the right price point, um, where the buyer and the seller are both happy. And, um, you know, again, I could go on for a long time about that process, but at, at the, at the 5,000 foot level, the biggest thing I can emphasize there is just be patient, realize it in a way it is part of the game 
and just trust your real estate agent to really deal with uh, the you know the pain points in that process and the more relaxed you can be the better chance you have and Dirk, if we just kind of focused on the buying part of land here, well, you know, what are some of the have-tos that you would consider have to have in an offer? And then yeah. what are some of maybe some of the, um, you know, what are some of the common errors slash fails that you've seen on some offers? Yeah, so as a buyer, again, there's a lot that goes into it, but I think the most important things are ahead of that offer is making sure your agent and you understand what contingencies you may want to put in. Um, for instance, if you're going to build a house, right, you need to know that you got the ability to hook up to power, you got the ability to hook up to water or a well, dig a well, or hook up to sewer or a septic system, right? Because you're going to need those three items no matter what. And again, not to get too long-winded, but if you're going to put in a well, you got to know that there's a spot to dig that well. Um, and that requires calling a few well diggers to go out and do some tests, dig some holes, and, um, and tell you yes or no. Same with septic. You know, there's every state and city has different septic system laws and rules. So you got you to gotta call the city or call a septic guy to come out and do what's called a perp test, which they'll dig a hole and say, okay, this soil is appropriate to put a septic system in, and then they'll tell you what type of septic systems that you um, same with power and, and hooking up to city water or city sewer. You know, there's fees involved there. Um, if you really want that run to your property, how far away is it? Um, and how much will that cost to do um, to do those type of things? Um, as a hunter, you know, as a, specifically if you're a gun hunter or bow hunter, you're going to want to know how, you know, as a bow hunter, access, terrain, you know, really walk in the property to see if there's even huntable areas you can get into and in prevailing winds. Um, what's the soil like for food plots? Uh, you know, what's the neighborhood like? Is you got tree stands on every fence line? You know, as a gun hunter, do you have enough wide open space to shoot two, 300 yards, you know? Um, or is it gonna be more family oriented? Again, I could go on forever. There's a lot that goes into it, but as far as a buyer's concerned, um, the must-haves, I think it's situational, but the biggest thing is, is, is location and price, I think, as a buyer. You know, is the location right, and is the price going to fit your budget, you know, when, when we come down to the, the dollars and cents? And then, on, and then after that, it's the top three things that they were looking for, and can we accomplish those top three things with any contingencies in that offer? And so once the offer is accepted, then it's just getting that stuff done, right? Getting the financing approved, getting all the tests done. And, you know, a lot of the time the agent and the buyer are working hand in hand through that entire process. And even possibly trying to help the seller get prepared to move or get all their equipment off. Or, um, you know, if it's a, a family that needs help auctioning things, getting them in touch with auctioneers. I mean, it can get very complicated very quick and a good agent will make your seller and your buyer feel like really nothing's going on, you know? We're just kind of waiting for that close date for the most part. So that's important when you interview somebody to, to sell or as a buyer's agent, you know, that confidence that you can, you can exist in your own world while they're doing the best they can for you in, in, this, in this world of buying. So with that, Dirk, uh, 
What what percent of your business do you think, if you had to put a percentage, is word of mouth? And that's just illustrating out the the great job that you do. Yeah, um, it's a, it's an experience thing, right? And I've done this now in four different states. I started over three to three or four different times now. I can't even remember, but. Year one and two is more of a uh, marketing campaign type year as an agent, getting your face and name out there and, and trying to meet people, cold calling. Um, I can't tell you how much time I spend on calling for sale by owners and, and um, expired listings that maybe had a bad experience and need help. Um, and then about year two or three, it really starts to become a, a recognition game. So uh, a lot of referral business. Um, I would say by year three, you want to be up in that like 85, 75, 85% word of mouth. And then you're really cruising, you know, then you're really, you're really setting a precedent, precedence in the area that you run around as an, as an excellent agent. Because that's the true, in my opinion, that's the true mark of a great agent is if you're hearing their name all the time from people that you're not soliciting, right? So, oh man, I see a sign and I heard about that guy. He sold Joe Smith's property in like three days. And he had a great experience and he was professional and clean cut. And I mean, I don't know how he keeps his truck so clean, but you know, <laughs> those, those type of things that that that, uh, that really make a difference. And, and after being in this now for almost seven years, is is that's what a real a, a really good agent. Um, can prove to you and show to you. Anything else you would uh, add, Dirk, as far as, uh, so that kind of gets us to, you know, an offer agreement and uh, really a, a sales happening. Um, how about on the kind of the closing side of this? Um, any advice you could give? Yeah, closing is typically pretty easy. Um, you go to a title company, you go to a real estate attorney's office and you sign some papers and then you walk out and you, and you're, you own your land. Um, one big thing I would recommend is always keep an ear to the payment for that first tax payment because um, in some states it will actually go to the previous owner and you have to rely on them to get you that information. Um, you know, some states are paying forward in tax, some states are paying in arrears on those taxes. Um, getting your government programs all signed up for and re uh, either negotiated or in your name, like such as CRP programs, uh, WRP programs, you know, those type of things that can really hurt you if you don't stay ahead of the game. Forestry programs, um, those are big points to know. Again, part of that buying process, that's the information you got to get from the seller that, hey, is this thing in any programs? Because you could lose some substantial income, especially in a state like Iowa. If that CRP, CRP program or WRP program rolls through and you didn't know about it and it cancels out on you, you then have several steps that could take you years to get it back re-enrolled. And uh, that's, especially in a state like Iowa, that could be some very substantial income to a, to a buyer and a new property owner. Um, other than that, I just recommend enjoying your land. I mean, it truly is one of the greatest experiences for me as an agent to just see the joy on people's faces when they either have sold that piece that they really needed to sell or bought that piece that they can see the future on. And then, you know, just continuing to, to touch base and build those relationships to where, again, you, you, you get that referral business as an agent, but 
you just never know how life changes, right? You know, they could have bought their dream property and something comes up and three years later they need help with it again. Or 13 years later, 20 years later, their kids want to sell it or they want to buy something bigger and better, you know? So it's very important for us um, and for me personally is, you know, I try to touch base with people at least once a year. I know it's been a little bit different for Joel, but I've changed numbers about 10 times. So it's, it's hard for my age, my previous clients to always get a hold of me or me to get a hold of them. But um, yeah, after the selling process is over, I just recommend join it. I mean, it could be the only piece you buy or it could be the first of a hundred, but uh, land is, is special. And it's just, it's, you just enjoy it. So Dirk with that, so, so you live in Kansas. Yep. But hypothetically, I'm a person in Illinois, and I want to buy some property in Illinois. Yeah. Would Would you be someone that I would call to help me with that, or or would I have to find somebody locally in Illinois? You know, it could be either. Um, fortunately for me, since I've lived all over the place, I know agents all over the place. Um, and so I know land all over the place. I've hunted in a lot of these states. I've sold land in a lot of these Midwestern states as far as Tennessee and um, I would be more than happy to help. I'm not licensed in some of those states, so I can't technically write contracts and do those type of things, but I can kind of be your, you know, your little angel or your, or your you know, demon on your shoulder saying, no, you don't want to do that, or yes, you want to do that. Or if there is another good agent in those states to help you, um, I can help gauge that too, you know, with a bit of a phone call with them and say, hey, I think this guy or, or this lady are going to be very good for you. Uh, they'll show you around, they'll work with you, and I'll kind of be here to help you in the background. Yeah, perfect. So you just said something. Uh, what per, Do you have uh, quite a few clients that are uh, females out looking looking for ground that are that are looking for hunting ground? Yeah. You'd be surprised, honestly. I mean, I think Joel's wife is a great example of it. I think she's just as obsessed with bow hunting as, as he is. Well, you mentioned the deer in the picture behind me. It's not mine. Let's put it that way. <laughs> right? Exactly. And, uh, you know, I think nowadays the, the share of wealth uh, in the work world is is, uh, is pretty, you know, I'm not trying to get political, but as far as my clients are concerned, a lot of the women that have been interested in land, whether hunting or recreation or retirement or buying a house on rural, whatever, I mean, they're just as, uh, they're just as excited about it as uh, the men that I've worked with. And it's becoming more and more women are, are, are becoming interested in, of all wealth levels. I mean, again, you know, 100 millionaires are, they're buying their first 40 acres, you know, it's, 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 it's been a cool thing to see, honestly. And there's a lot more women in the outdoor world now, huh? Which is good. Yeah, which is really good. Uh, very good. All right, Tim, any other questions? Uh, oh, this has been great. I tell you what, uh, Dirk, I mean, you, we could sit here. I mean, you, we could sit here for another hour easy and just talk either hunting or even questions about hunting properties. I have a whole laundry list of questions, <laughs> but, but I would tell you, I, I think Joel and I would love to have you back and, and approach yeah. some, some other topics if you, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, man, I would be happy to. I know there's a lot more questions out there. I'd imagine for both of you and probably your audience. And if there's some certain topics that I can get more detail on, I would be more happy to. So, Dirk, let me, uh, in closing here, let me throw you a kind of a off-script question here. We didn't prep you for this and uh, want it off the cuff here, but uh, you're hunting, you know, you're a hunter, and uh, 
you've got some land. What's the craziest experience while hunting that you've had up to date in your life? So this is a two day. This is a two day deal for me. Um, I have a great friend in Buffalo County, Wisconsin, who owns one of the most incredible farms, 300 some acres that I've ever hunted in my life. I mean, he's got booners every year. And this was back in, oh, this is back in 10, 2010. He had a hit lister that was over 200 inches, right? And I was, he said, Dirk, you can hunt every deer that you want on this property, but you cannot shoot that deer. And I'm like, okay, you know, what are the odds of me seeing this deer, right? We get it, his farmer was picking his corn the day I got there. We got in this, we got in a, a blind that that evening at like, I wanna say it was like four o'clock, 4.30. And I'm not kidding you, I have video of this and it's uh, about 30 minutes into sitting in there, this buck comes out about 70 yards from us to our, what would be to our left. And I'm trying to turn around and film this. He's with a doe. And, uh, by far the largest buck I've ever seen in my life at that distance. And he didn't come any closer than that. And I completely understood. I was actually with him in the blind. And I was like, gosh, he didn't bring his bow that day because he had actually tagged out on a 180 inch or the week before. And um, he was, so he had to wait till rifle season in Wisconsin to go after this big buck. And so I was like, my gosh, what a great experience. And we had this big nine that I got, I could have shot would just not come in close enough because of that giant you know, 200 incher uh, that was over on the other side of that big cornfield. And so great experience. I was like, man, call my buddies. Like, you're not going to believe the deer I saw today. I got video of it. It's incredible and blah, blah, blah. And so I go out the next morning and I go to the west side of his farm and uh, just me in a tree stand. He's like, go sit here. We got this big gnarly nine pointer that's old and just bully buck and you know, you, you'll be able to smell him coming. He's just that bred up. <laughs> I'm like, all right, all right, I can do that. You know, probably 150 inch, probably six, seven year old buck, just gnarly. My wife, my wife says that about me too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so I get in the tree, and I, it's a morning sit, and it's in this bedding area, and I get in the tree, and all hell's breaking loose out in this thicket this big thicket on this big hill. And I don't know if you ever hunted Buffalo County or been up there, but a lot of bluffs. And so I'm looking like up this hill like this and day breaks and I'm trying to glass. And all of a sudden I see this, that nine pointer just bolt out of the thicket. And then here comes that big 200 incher again. And I'm not kidding you. He, I have video of this too. He circles and at 35 yards, he stands broadside to me oh. at 35 yards. And I could have shot him. Oh, and to this day, unfortunately, he, the the landowner, my buddies, saw him on opening day of rifle season, could not get a shot. And a neighbor's buddy who never hunts, never does anything on the 40 acres next to him, killed him. Oh. And he ended up scoring 201 inches. Oh. And that's after he had lost the drop time. And to this day, that is the craziest hunt. I've Two days of hunting I've ever been. I mean, I've... I've had some great hunts, and I've seen some really, really big deer. Unfortunately, I haven't been close enough to put an arrow in them, but that was the craziest two days I've ever had in the woods with just the action and the just giant deer that I've seen. So I don't know if that's a crazy, crazy story, but I, uh, I'll i never forget that. Neither will he. He's like, I should have just let you shoot that thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
hindsight 2020, right? Yeah. That's yeah, those deer yeah. don't those deer don't come uh, around very often. No, and I honestly I have I do a lot of I go to Iowa every year, and regardless of a tag or not, I video if I don't have a tag for my buddy Mike who you met, right? And I have probably videoed more giant deer than I've ever had in front of me, and I don't know if that's just my destiny, but <laughs> his wall looks like Cabela's. Mine well, doesn't quite look. Uh, that what much. are you doing in late October, November, <laughs> Dirk? We yeah. might bring you down to Southern Iowa if you're a good luck hey, charm. Yeah, I, I'd love to, man. I'd love to come film or do whatever. And I'll be there first week in November, no matter what. <laughs> well, again, we want to thank you for uh, joining our podcast and sharing your wealth of knowledge and again putting up with us and our jokes and uh and sharing some uh good good stories yourself so um with that we will uh we will let you go from uh, midwest hunting and outdoors you know have fun be safe and get outdoors thanks for listening or watching our show we have some exciting topics and guests coming up. We ask that you subscribe to our channel on YouTube and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We look forward to hearing your suggestions for topics, questions, and comments. This is Two Dumbasses signing off. Until next time, be, be safe, safe, have, have fun, fun, and, and get, get outdoors. outdoors.